Today's program has been brought to you by Calavita. Think outside the bottle with Calavita, America's trusted family brand, makers of extra virgin olive oil and fine Italian food products. Calavita.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey folks, welcome to Food Talk Live here. Yes, we're back again. Pleasure. We've got a fun show coming up. We are going to talk about one thing for the entire show today because you could talk about Burgundy forever if you wanted to, but we're not going to talk about it forever. We're going to talk about it for the, the bulk of this hour. I have with me in the studio Risto Zazowski, who is the beverage director for Michael White's Altamareya Group, which spans continents now. They've got restaurants in New Jersey and Manhattan and D.C. You guys got anything in Vegas? Uh, no. Not in Vegas yet. Hong Kong, London. I don't know. I'm losing track. You need uh, a, Istanbul. Istanbul. See, that's that's what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a little mini empire. And Risto oversees. He's the beverage director, which which I'm actually going to ask him what that, what that means because I see his Facebook posts of him taking trains to D.C. and moving around. So we'll, we'll get to that. And he's just back from Burgundy. If you remember last week, we had um, Megan McClure in. She was from Domaine Jessioun in Santinay. So we talked about her, about what they do there, and about the region. We're really going to bore down because it's, it's fresh on his mind. He's just back from a trip. Uh, first, I want to give a shout-out to the American team that won the gold medal at the Bocuse d'Or. That's a huge deal. Um, I think that's been going on for almost 30 years. It's the 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary. It takes place every other year. Um, Over the last 20 years, I'm sure. I'm sure it was big at the beginning, but it's it's grown in prominence. It's an international competition with teams from everywhere. Japan, the Netherlands, Peru, you name it. And America's always had a team, although we have zero government support, unlike a lot of those other countries. But that's kind of the way America works, isn't it? Anyway, we're not like big in supporting arts and culinary endeavors and stuff like that. And if we didn't know, we do now. (laughs) If you didn't know, you're going to find out the hard way. But it was a huge deal to... um, Matthew Peters and Harrison Tyrone, I believe, were the two chefs who were at the core of it. Um, it's tough. They took a year off. They're both Per Se alum. Um, I think one was the executive sous chef at Per Se here, and the other was somewhere in that kitchen doing something. But you know, they 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 won the right to do this, which is pretty tough. I know James Kent, my buddy down at Nomad, was one of the competitors years back. It's just tough. You're competing against these teams that have been training for years, that get paid to do it, that is government money. Here, these guys took a year off. Um, had the help of, of obviously, uh, Thomas Keller's directly involved. Danielle Boulud is heavily involved. Trained, and they won. They won the gold medal. So congratulations. That is a big deal in the culinary world because it is a first. America's never won that before. So congratulations to those guys. Um, and what else going on? That's about it. We'll talk about other stuff. Who did, who did Asimov? Not Asimov. Um, who did they review this week? Um, I don't know this week. I know last week was... Um 
was Thomas Carter's place. Yeah. Oh, was it, well, it was it, what's his name's place? It was Calicchio's place, Fowler and Wells, oh. Fowler and Bowler, whatever it's called. Which is funny because he hasn't reviewed Augustine yet, which I've been to, and it's fantastic. It's McNally's joint. There's so there's a new hotel at the Beekman Hotel. It's in, the base of it's an old uh, um, cast iron building with with uh, with like the top thirty floors of brand new construction. But you walk in, it's really beautiful. Fowler and Wells is this gorgeous. Looks like a private library setting. Big leather chairs, tons of room. Um, Tom Calicchio is there. The night I was at, uh, around the corner eating at Augustine, I went in to say hi. He was there. He's in the kitchen all the time. Two great, good review for him. Two-star review. But I think that Augustine should get three at that place. I think that's McNally's best effort since I can remember, um, since Mineta. But a um, little different. Really, really great food. Anyway, Risto Zazowski, let's talk. Why am I holding the headphones to my ear? Um, <laughs> that was strange. So your first trip, I, I was in Burgundy years ago. Um, but I've traveled around it. I mean, I've been to Lyon. I've been I've been everywhere around it, but I haven't been back in years. And I remember there was like just like kind of like the left bank of Bordeaux, the highways. Back in those days, we had maps, or we had Michelin guide there. I think it was the green guy who was the one that had all the little maps inside it, and that's how you did it. You know, someone's a passenger seat, and you're navigating. And I think there's Route 74 that kind of defines the code door. It runs north to south. Yep, on 74. Right on 74. Um, Bones the epicenter, is that what you stayed? Uh, no, we actually stayed in New St. George, which was only 10 minutes away. Yeah, it's, it's not that huge a region. No, it's But it's, it's, it's so quick. historic, and it's so storied. And, I mean, in a nutshell, they've been growing grapes there for forever, it seems. Uh, the Catholic Church was very involved. The monasteries were very involved in, as which is not unusual. Yeah, we decided that um, one of the best things the the system of church brought us is wine after that trip. It's the truth. It is the truth. That's a takeaway. Thank you, Catholic Church, for that. Um, uh, with Bordeaux, it's considered really the two greatest wine-growing regions in France. I suppose you could throw in Champagne if you wanted to add a third. But I think the rivalry between Bordeaux and Burgundy has been around forever. Um, and it's, it's two very different, I mean, eight completely different grape varietals, but also kind of different growing cultures. You go to the left bank of Bordeaux and you visit these big estates where there's, you know, the famous Chateau this or Chateau that. And there would be this ginormous towering building surrounded by vineyards that usually there's nothing else growing in those vineyards except vines. Um, the soil looks kind of dead because there's a lot of modern farming practices taking place. But there's not a lot of farmers in the left bank of Bordeaux. I mean, the right bank more so now. Mm -hmm. But the left bank tends to be dominated by the big brands. Yeah. Um, whereas Burgundy still kind of farmers. I mean, you still, there's a lot of passion. Um, it, it's a victim of its own success, I, if I'm not mistaken. The only place where vineyard land is more expensive and not by much is Champagne. So if you wanted to buy a hectare of land, and I'm not talking about Premier Crew or Grand Crew, um, if you wanted to buy a hectare of good land in Burgundy today, you'd, you'd pay upwards of a million euro, which is insane. I yeah. mean, at that price, that's why you're selling bottles of wine. It's gotten even more. Like I just heard Canubi in Barolo, one hectare was going for three million euro. Well, so. I guess we're going to be drinking lots of wines from other places. <laughs> Moving forward, the good news is that's happening, and there's a lot of great wine coming from everywhere else. Yeah. But, um, so talk to me. First of all, tell, tell me, as, as a beverage director, you're a sommelier by training. Yes. You, when I met you, you had just gotten done a stint on the floor at John George. Um, you went directly to Michael White after John George? Mm -hmm. Seven years at John George uh, at, the, at the main restaurant, and then, yes, went to, went to, to Michael White and opened up by Fiore. 
as the sum, and then now you. So, what does the beverage director do? Because you're overseeing everything, everything. Yeah, um, I think you're seeing more uh, beverage directors. Uh, classically, you have the uh, the Bernie Sons, uh, John George, and the Daniel Johnnesses from Dynex. But right. like now, you have John Reagan, you have uh, right, Jeff for, Porter, for you have John Reagan working for USAG. Yeah, well, yeah. Now he's yeah, USAG. Well, no, USAG now. Whatever it's called. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have Jeff Porter. Well, that's right. He went to Unisport Hospitality. That's right. Yep. And they put together. There's a bunch of guys. Chris Strzok's on the floor. I mean, yep. I know a bunch of those. I mean, they had a hell of a team at US Unisquare Hospitality. Yeah. And then you have like Jeff Porter for for Bastian B and B, and you have Josh Nadal for um, for all Caramelinis. So yeah, it's you know it's the next layer. Um, I mean, I think restaurants in general have changed a little bit with openings and structure, and you need. I mean, I. At the end of the day, I feel like I'm more of a focus leader than anything else. Um, I want all, everyone, from the back waiters to the GMs to everyone to succeed. And my job is to make sure everyone is focused. And I want to make sure the beverage part of things, which can be complicated and can get, you know, that makes 30 to 40% of the revenue in the restaurant business, um, that it's focused. And it's, you know, we, we don't lose any margins, but we also, we also, you know, we spend our money wisely and on top of training and setting up systems and, you know, openings and all that, all the not, not fun stuff, you know, like the sommelier, you know, you say like, oh, I'd love to be a sommelier. Well, being, Inventory. On, the fl- <laughs> being on the floor is that 5% of glamour right. and popping bottles open and talking right. to guests. But then there's the moving in the cellar and unloading the boxes and counting the inventory. But yeah. So, um, yeah, I oversee, uh, nine restaurants. Um, I focus on the United States. Uh, so it is New York, New Jersey, and DC. Uh, like you said, you do see me on the train back and forth from DC. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I just, I'm one, I feel like I'm one of the executive, I, and I don't feel I am. I'm one of the executive leaders in, in all of Altamaria groups. So like on top of, you know, I, I'm, I'm going in trying to set goals, teach, Mm-hmm. Give, give depth and, uh, you know, train people and make all the wine directors, all the head bartenders uh, for at least my division, um, all the, all, you know, better and stronger and keep adding. And um, it, it's hard, you know, because there's turnover in restaurants like any other, like any other. Um, so that's why you see me in D.C. a lot lately. Um, but I love doing it. Like I love teaching people new skills and learning their pros and, you know, and, uh, and, you know, you know, having them focus on what they're good at and learning their fault, not their, like their weaknesses and then like adding, you know, teaching them. And, um, yeah, I I just, it's, it's, a it's, you know, it's just like any job. If you love doing what you do, um, there's repetition involved, but repetition is good. Um, and I don't think, you know, if you can understand what grade level everyone's at, whether they're in kindergarten to 12th grade, um, that's the hardest part because stepping back sometimes and getting out of the bubble of what you know and how you learned, um, it's, it's you know. So to, for, for front of the house staff, and I know it's become so, I mean, the wine, again, I, I, going back in restaurant history, when I first came to the city, I w- was lucky enough to have an, on my second job. My first job was the Four Seasons restaurant where there was no sommelier. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the head waiters were assumed to be. We had a great wine program at the Four Seasons. Obviously, it was, it's, it's a restaurant that was well-known in the wine world. Uh, Cove, Tom Covey and, and Margatai were sort of early pioneers of California wineries. We, we have barrel tasting. Then they get to the Maurice. 
which is French, and it's the Parker Meridian was half owner. Uh, Christian Delouvrier is my chef, and I met this guy on the floor that wore a Testavant around his neck. This little guy that had like zero personality, but knew everything in the world about wine named Roger Daghorn. Yeah. So, um, and, but, but. I don't think there were three other songs working in New York at the time. And that was true through the 80s, through most of the 90s. Yeah. This idea that one could have be a sommelier became a modern thing. And now with, with you, so my, my question for you is this. Now that that's becoming more common, waitstaff are also just becoming smarter and more educated, as are the customers. Customers, that's, that's the one. It's the customers. And it can be overwhelming because... The skill that I think is the most the skill that you need to identify or train right away is how do you find what the guest is looking for and what he's, he or she is not looking for, mm-hmm. and then guide. Of course, you need to have in your back pocket your favorite things and feel confident and feel like you're going to take care of them because they're, your, they're in your house, but you need to listen. Because some tables need more attention than others. Some, you know, some are excited. Some are there because they have to be there. And, you know, it's, it's like a show every night. It's definitely a show every night. It's funny because I'm... It's hard for me to wonder what it's like to experience restaurants outside of my world. I mean, all of us are realities based on our experience in our lives. So I go to a restaurant, first thing I want to see is the menu. I don't want to look at the wine list first because I want to see what the food is. That's going to drive my wine decision. So the wine list sits to my left or somewhere else. Order the food, then think about the wine. Yeah, but now we have more things. You have social media, right? So you saw the... I mean, I knew the whole Boost Door thing because it was was all over, you know? (laughs) You see reviews. You see travel advisor. You you expect they're going to already pull out that ribbon of something with a letter on it before you sit down. I was talking to somebody, one of my friends, like, I've lost the magic of when I go out to dinner because everyone's already painted the whole picture for me. Uh So the romance... So everybody just knows for both pros and cons here. It's not... It's not good or bad, I'm saying here. But yeah, you're going in, like you said, you want to see the menu first. Me, I might like, you know, not me, but like say, say I'm speaking to somebody else. I, I read a review. I want to have those three dishes, you know, like, so everybody's going in. It's all about listening. It really is listening because you will save yourself so much time. Mm-hmm. Give the guests what they want on top of them being on their phones, on top of them, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, and, and it's all experience. And if people can just I mean, honestly, it's listening. It really is. So do you, I'm sure the answer to the question is yes, but you do weekly tastings with the front of the house? Because I mean, you're moving from restaurant to restaurant uh, to restaurant. I don't. Um, I'm very, knock on wood, with the exception of D.C. now, so I'm not perfect. Like, we, we've had our, I mean, the wine directors and the head bartenders at all the restaurants have been there for a little bit, of, a little while, and I delegate. I want to give them, I mean, not give them, it's their programs. Like, if somebody new comes in, I know how to get somebody trained and up to speed. And if I have to cover the floor, I can jump in and work a night at Vaucluse or work a night at Ifiori or work a night at Austria Marini. And, you know, uh, but um, because the systems are there, it's like any good sommelier should just know the table numbers, take a peek at the wine list, get, you know, get familiar with it. What's the, you know, what's the menu and then jump in, you know, and, um, but no, the, I mean, we do, depending on the restaurant. So yes, we'll do line. I mean, it's all about timing too. You know, we're in New York City. Restaurants don't close. You know, I hear this. Can we close on Saturday lunch because we want to do like staff education? Um, do you know how much that seat costs? Right, the revenue you get from brunch or whatever your it's, lunch business. It's, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, again, it's, 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 the, it's like this tug of war all yeah. the time. So it's, again, it's all systems and, you know... Depending on where my guys are at, like, you know, I just did reviews for the end of the year with my whole, all my, all the senior staff. And one of the head bartenders like, can we just change it like this? Do I have to do it that way? I go, no. If you can fit in a proper 60-minute class, 30-minute class, 
do it. If you can't, then yes, take up the five minutes at lineup, but be organized. Mm. Pop something open. You know, bring it back again. You know, it's like it's just. Rep- but again, it's repetition, repetition. And you know, one of the things. You know, it's it's like, well, these guys have been here for a while, but right. But then you have new staff coming in and they feel like, whoa, I'm like in second grade. These guys are in 10th grade here. And it's all about making them feel confident. Mm. And eventually, you know, if you give someone confidence and feel like, wow, they are really nurturing me, they that's the motivation. You, Yeah. Is it hard to be self-motivated? Yes. Is that, you know, is the common sense thing hard? Yes. But if you can find someone that's self-motivated and has common sense and you give them some building blocks... But that's the hard part, you know, hiring. There's just – it's the restaurant. I mean, it's – again, we're, I'm just talking about the restaurant business because yeah. I've been in it since I was 12 years old. Right. So, like you said, like you've met me when I was a sommelier, but, like, I worked at my dad's diner peeling potatoes at 12 years old and clearing, you know, clearing ashtrays with bus tubs back in 92. So, like um, – yeah, it's the common sense and – yeah, I mean, I go into an interview now, like – you know, it's obviously layered. We're a, we're a big company, so the GM, the obviously the wine director, has to uh, hire and meet. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, one of my jokes is like, "Well, it's nice to meet you. I might be working for you one day." Because all these kids are coming out super motivated, yeah. super smart, and and it's uh, it's humbling in a way. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, I some I was on a trip to Bordeaux a while back, and Patrick Capiello had a bunch of young Psalms with him, and from New York was Erin Healy. I don't know if you know her. She's at John George now. Yeah. yeah. Tall, thin. I mean, girl's twenty five or twenty six. No, years. it's it's accelerated. It's crazy. I mean, right? I was twenty one. She already had her psalm certification. I mean, at I was, the drinking age. Yeah, but I was head sommelier at John. Not head sommelier. I was sommelier at John George at twenty three. I was head sommelier at twenty five. I mean, it's accelerated. Like, like it's. I mean, it's 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 a cutthroat business, and it's exhausting. And if you're if you're organized and you're disciplined and you take care of your body and you don't abuse yourself, that's. That's, you know, that's why you see the people, you know, who are still in it, like, but, you know, back to the whole sommelier thing that you mentioned, like, 20 years ago, I mean, we have people like Larry Stone and uh, Daniel Jonas, and... Right. I remember Daniel when they opened Montreal, man, yeah, on the Mon- floor, I mean, was, that's where it all... Boulay in the kitchen was crazy, yeah. all that talent. So, you know, with, with uh, Drew, uh, like, having this vision and this focus, so... Yeah, we have a lot to thank, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more people, but I'm just Yeah, and the wine world's come so far, too. It's just the wine making has gotten, in a way, so much better. Regions that we... I mean, I'm thinking, like, how in love with Loire Valley Mm -hmm. I am the last couple of years. I mean, thank... Pascaline, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I can't drink enough Shannon Blanc. I can't get enough Cab Franc. I just got picked up a case of Pepiers Muscadet from Chamber Street. This guy, how he coaxes that richness out of Muscadet is beyond me. But it's this, you know. So I mean, I could live there now, and that was a region that I mean, you go back twenty years, and it was just overcropped, chaptalized shit coming out of Anjou and most everywhere. I mean, it just wasn't a region. But there's the demand for it. And with the demand comes people wanting to know what they drink. Uh, on top of drinking food, look at the food we're eating now yeah. and organic and and the you know the cheese we're eating here and uh, which I smuggled over. But uh, <laughs> wait, I didn't say that out loud. I don't, no, 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 I don't, Donald I, Trump. I, I don't, sorry, sorry, I, I don't want to lose my global entry. Um, but um, yeah, you talk about the wine we're drinking. Let's talk about this because you're just back from Burgundy. So most of most of Michael White's restaurants have been Italian up to now. That was kind of his claim to fame. Yeah, until Vaucluse. Until Vaucluse, which is obviously by the name. You're yeah. looking at France. Um, so most of your list that you were overseeing were kind of driven heavily from the Italian continent. Um, no, I mean, I mean, Marea, I Fiori, uh, Restaurante Marini, with the exception of Osteria Marini here in New York. I mean, every other restaurant is Italian focused, but we do have. 
decent amount of French and American wines. Um, you know, we want to give the guests what they're looking for, uh, but we also need to have what they're coming in to expect the experience. So Burgundy, your first trip, amazing. The only grapes we're talking about today are going to be Pinot Noir, is the red grape varietal, the white grape varietal, Chardonnay. Actually, I brought a wild card, too. You told me to bring. You told me to bring like uh, fun, interesting, affordable. So. I did. I wanted. I did. I actually emailed because Risto and I were like. I was in the cellar yesterday. And I, yes. picked, I, put, I put the bottle of Bone Mar down and I picked up a bottle of uh, Fixon. I that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> like I, I don't want if I can't really. Most of what we're drinking, I probably can't afford to buy anyway. But I mean. Yeah, there, but there there is almost kind of satellite appellations. There's value. I mean, you could find good Burgundy. When I was at Batard, I talked to Drew's people. You know, they try to keep the list of yeah. as many bottles under $100 that they can. Yeah. Not getting, it's getting harder and harder to do it, but it's there. Yeah. Um, sure. So talk about the trip. Talk about, like, day one. Walk me through. Because right, it must well, have been just a revelation. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, this is my joke. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and I'm like, it's like the Bills not hitting the playoffs for 17 years. Like, I've been a, legally able to drink for 16 years, and I haven't been to Burgundy, so. So I finally made it. Um, yeah, so it was an amazing trip. I mean, we studied these books, you know, these vineyards, these big maps, and it, to, to be and to see it and to be in the vineyard, it's uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, um, it's not a big. I mean, again, we were in the Cote d'Or, so uh, we were in the Cote d'Or in Chambly, so um, it's not big. I mean, you drive 15 minutes, you're pretty much done and the thing is it doesn't look big when you're driving it's kind of like being on a plane because even though so all the slopes are east facing so when you're driving the road about most of them are say you're going uh, we're going north they're all pretty much on the left and it's kind of like this i would consider like a slip and slide where you have this like slide and this long kind of like kind of flat land depending on again where you're mm-hmm. at and it doesn't seem that big until you get out of your car and then you step in and you're like wow this is actually now I can see where all the graves come from because driving so quickly past it, I'm like, how do they make so much? I don't, they don't make that much juice, but like, how do they, how do they get this much juice? It's not that big, so it's kind of like a kind of a weird effect, a, you know, a vision effect. Um, because you know, walking through Montrachet at 24 degrees, the vineyard, it was it was cold. You know, even being out there for like 10 minutes, it was walking through it from one end to the other was like a three minute walk. So it was not. Um, you know, it's not big, but it's not small, and, and it kind of gives you a perspective. But that's what it was. It was more giving a perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, where do I start? Um, I, I need to go back. It's like kind of learning a new craft, and like it's like po- I guess I use this for poker sometimes. You know, you read a poker book, you think you know, and you learn the basics, and then you learn like you then you learn you then you read the second level hot like like more stuff and you're like well i don't know anything yeah it's wine's really bad that way i know like i thought i was beginning to like get my head around cap franc as a grape pascaline did a little private lunch tasting at racine a couple of years ago in the summer and i drove up from cape may and back just for that i'm not going to miss that yeah thank you pasca drove up and like there were 20 wines that we drank and i was like everything i thought i knew about about Cub Franc from Loire Valley just yeah. went out the window. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's like feeling an onion. You just keep going layer by layer by layer. And oh, 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 maybe I, not. I, I mean, the, the the big revolution day was uh, we had a whole day on Mer- in Merceau. So we went to four different wineries that were in Merceau. And I think, let's just say, three of those wineries had about two or three of the same vineyard, like same Premier Cru or same single vineyard, which everything is broken up. It's like that's why it's so confusing. There's like hundreds of different AOCs, AO, AOPs there. So they're, they're like, there's like, there's borders. And it was just, but it was cool to realize, wait, no, this is what Merceau Charm tastes like. Okay. This is what Merceau Perrier tastes like. Okay. I see the, I see Genevieve. You know, those are the three, those are the three big ones I'm talking about. But to, to get that and be like, okay, now I see how that, that person makes his wine and, and what his philosophy or her philosophy is. And then being like, okay, 
the tension has to come from this place. I get it. Okay, this has to be this. But that's easy when you're tasting like 2015 out of barrel because the wines are almost ready to get bottled, so they're really fresh. Then screw it. When they start pulling out like a couple bottles of blind taste, you're like, I'm just going to try to guess the vintage on this because it's like, I, it's it's literally like, a, it's it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's it's like a, it's like a puzzle. It's like, it's just like... I, 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 it just, like I said, I just got started. And because Burgundy is one of the places, again, Chardonnay's the white grape and the, the oak is how it's done, and that these wines are completely age-worthy. Yeah. So, yeah, you are drinking, I mean, not that other, not that, again, you could find, uh, shit, there was, Pascaline had a 38 Chenin Blanc that, um, that but what's his name, brought in the other day to, to Rouge to, for her to taste. Um, so and, and Rieslings can go, I mean, all yeah, but, but Burgundy is kind of known for that. Yeah, that yeah. oak is, the, one of the reasons it's done is so that the wines are meant to last, built yeah. to last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say they're using as much oak as you think. I mean, I saw a lot of producers, like, I think one-third was the max on, on even, like, Premier Cruz, which... A third what, new oak? yeah. Like they're 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 trying to tone it down a little well, bit. Well, good because I meant the '90s might have been the heyday of that stylistically globally because of the hegemony of California. Like, listen, there are some producers too, and there is some Grand Cru vineyards that need that because the wines just they want it. It's a preservative on top of it being mm. a flavor and whatnot. Like, I drank '92 Montrachet from Lafon. You had an '83 Chablis Ravenneau. Yeah. I saw that I, I on just, Facebook I, somewhere. I posted it today, yeah. Huh? I, that I was back I, from today. I'm like, what the? How was that? It was, like, perfect. <laughs> 83. So, 93, 03, 33 years yeah, old. Yeah, I'm, I'm born in 80, so it's easy to do the math. Holy yeah. shit. It was, pretty, it was pretty perfect. And just had that acid, that mineral backbone. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, it wasn't flabby or anything. It just, it just, it was, Tight. like, it was, yeah. Like I, like I said in my description on, on Instagram, it like, had no baby fat. It was just, like, it was just, it was, like, still, it was, like, I don't know. I mean, I usually use characters, but like it had that ballerina kind of like just like beautiful physique and just, you know, it was powerful still. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. And just in in its prime, really. Yeah. It wasn't moving anywhere. Anywhere no. in an edge. That's, that's amazing. I mean, Thanks all for two for that, too. Um, so what are we <laughs> drinking? What is in this glass? It right. is freaking delicious. All right. So I have three different wines here from three different styles. I mean, we're looking for affordability because these wines now with the supply and demand um, with the markets. I mean, I went to some wineries. They only make two barrels. And consider, consider a barrel in Burgundy, 25 cases. So two barrels, four barrels, like 100 cases of wine. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really special, and it's priced because of the supply and demand. I don't want to even get into that. But, yes, yeah, so I was looking for, you know, and it's in Burgundy can be confusing. So for, for a novice in Burgundy, I always tell people, um, learn the basic big regions first. So, like, pick four and four, four whites, four reds. And so, like, you know, Gervais uh, Chambertin, Chambon um, Musigny, Von Romanet, and Louis St. George for red. And this is the big area I'm talking about here. And for white, you know, Merceau, uh, you know, let's say, say, uh, Corton Charlemagne, Merceau, Chassagne, and, and, uh, Pouligny Montrachet. Mm-hmm. Like, stick with just the you, things you've seen before. And then after you kind of get a, like, 101 on that, then it's all about producers. So, whatever producer you like, his or her, uh, her or his style will show in no matter what quality or, or, or um, quality, qualitative, qualitative level you're going to get. So, if you like the wine, so this wine, the first one I poured for you, is a straight Bourgogne, um, so it's the entry level. Entry level correct. It's just right. just yeah, regional, okay. regional. It's got a vintage on it, it's 2013. Is but it, it's is but, it Gossillon? No, no, no. It's from uh, Domaine George um, Munyaregi Board, which is like really not easy to get. But this is like entry level. So for me, I love their wines. It's two sisters, and this wine is. 
from the, they're based in Vonromanay, so you're basically getting a baby Vonromanay. And if you can again, if you find producers you like, you don't have to go crazy on the bank. Start with their entry level stuff. If you like that style, then maybe down the road, maybe splurge on something, maybe ten dollars, twenty dollars, forty dollars more, because you're like, I really like this guy or this person, and I know that it's going to be a quality bottle because I've had, you know, I know it's going to be like. There's more steroids in it. There's more. There's more. There's more concentration. There's more umph. Mm. So this is an example of a beautiful, excellent producer entry level. I mean, if you can find it again, it's all about supply and demand. So all these wines, no matter where and how much they make. Like I went to this uh, one winery where she makes two barrels, four barrels, six barrels of a Premier Cruz, and then she made thirty barrels of her Bourgogne. So again, still thirty barrels. I mean, do the math. I know. It's still not, not that much wine. Uh, because they don't make that much. But it's all the surroundings. It's a mix of all the Premier Cruises. Everything gets declassified. And they're allowed, allowed to also do some stuff from the outside a little bit, too. Um, so, yeah, having that touch and having that style and being in that cellar, um, you know, this is a, basically a ba- baby Von Romane. What year? Uh, 2013. 13. So, I mean, What's again. What's the importer? Uh, this is a... <laughs> uh, well, I'm not going to talk about that. Okay. There's, there's been some. Uh, All right, sorry. There's been some stuff lately that people have been changing hands. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my. Uh, go-to. So, what would this retail for? What would I buy this for at a restaurant? I mean, at a restaurant, probably like seventy to eighty bucks. So entry level. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Again, when you go to a restaurant, that's what we try to do. We try to find these wines. Like I try to find a great producer's Bourgogne. And you'll know, like, if you like that, and then I know I'm not going to give you, I mean, can I swear on that? I'm not going to give you shit. Like, I'm looking for, and then we'll change it. And, and uh, yeah, that's, that's this in a nutshell. Um, the other two wines I brought, which we have to taste because, okay. you know. Um, so uh, the next wine is, again, another 2013 uh, young, fresher style wine. Um, and from this, this is from the region of uh, Fixan, which no one's ever really F- heard of before. I-X-I-N. Yeah, fix in. Right, that's how I pronounce. It. Fix it in, yeah. And this region is right next to Gevry Chambertin, just north. And people know Gevry Chambertin; they think that's where it starts. And yes, if you do your 101, like I explained to you, and your your you know your ABCs, uh, but Fixan is right next door. It's right north to it, and it does have kind of again baby styles of that of that. Um, and again, this is again probably on the wine list for about 100 bucks um, retail, about 40 to 50, which I know is not cheap, but Nothing is right now, and uh, nor will it ever be. Nor will it ever be. And when it's young, because people are like, "Well, this wine's too young," or and, but when you get these wines, they're meant to be drunk this way, you know. For the Bourgogne and like the the like the the, the single uh, village stuff, they'll put less oak on it. It's not meant to be as concentrated. It's meant to be more ready to go. Yeah, this is. I mean, this has a slightly more expressive nose, a little more fruit on the nose, but. First one is delicious too. It's really that there's sort of acid mineral balance background and kind of. Yeah, I hate but, to say silky tannins. Yeah, but, it's but, but but it's you had Von Romanet first, which is considered the regal of Burgundy. And it's yeah. just the pinnacle of aromatics and like the best smelling Pinot Noir probably in the world. Um, now you're getting to more power and more concentration, but again, not price tag of Gervais Chambertin and those Premier Cruz. Um, if anyone's curious of looking at these labels, uh, I'm on, can I plug myself just for they can see it? Yeah. I'm, yeah, at, yeah. I'm at Risto Z, uh, my first name, last initial, at Instagram, so you can... Um, you can just see the picture of what it's spelled H R I S T O Z Z. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll put a link on the website as well. David's great at that. So yeah, what do you think? Of, I mean, this is it's delicious. Let's take. We're going to drink. You know what? I'm going to have some more cheese, and I don't want to talk 
I can't talk any at the same time. It's one of the troubles with doing radio. Yeah. Um, TV, we can do cutaways to somebody else while I'm chewing, but not on radio. So, quick break here at the bottom of the show to um, give some credit to the people that help make this show possible for me and um, as well as the rest of the station, the other shows that we have. So, stay tuned. We'll be back with Risto in just a couple of minutes. Hey folks, Mike Kalameko here. Everybody knows that great cooking really starts with great ingredients, and these days we have so many options to choose from. Well, I go back to the Colavita family brand for years, and there really is a Colavita family behind this brand. I got their story long after I started using their products. Back in the mid-80s, when I was the chef at the Ritz-Carlton here in New York City, one of the things you can do as a chef is order your own food. You do the purchasing, and we switched olive oils to Colavita. Uh, when I had my own restaurant down in Cape May, New Jersey, The Globe, for years, that's all we ever poured at the table. That's all I ever cooked with. And then when I started my PBS show in 1999, I thought, you know, if I'm going to look after underwriting and funders, why don't I go after products that I, I actually use at home, that I actually cook for my family with and in my restaurant with. I've been working with them for 15 years with the PBS series and now with Heritage Radio. The Colavita family goes back generations in Italy. They make their olive oil from great sourced olives, traceable sourced olives, just south of Rome in Molise province, Abruzzi, which is where my family hails from. Since then, their family's moved here, so there's Colavita is living in Rome. Colavita is living in America. It's a great, trusted family brand. It's the olive oil I use, and I'd recommend you try it as well. Hey, folks. I, I said I wouldn't do this, but I, I'm chewing <laughs> on air. Oh, my God. They're going to fire me. I mean, I brought some Vacheron Montdor raw over, yeah. so it's peaking right now. We can't wait. I have developed. If you don't know, Tia Keen has been on the show before. Art of the Cheese Plate, great new book she has out. We had her on a couple of months ago. Um, and I don't know when it happened, but I guess, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing because it's changed. But I've always loved cheese. I've always loved cheese. In fact, I'm the kind of person that after a meal would prefer to eat cheese than dessert 99% of the time. But, you know, I never really bought a lot of it. And then I guess because of my shopping habits, you know, we're all kind of creatures of habit. I have a bicycle. That's how I get around Manhattan. And I have a, one of those big walled baskets. I think that's the name of the brand, W-A-L-D. It's what all the guys use, the delivery guys that deliver food to you in New York have it on their bicycles. That was where I got the idea. Because... The way I shop, it's like go to the bakery, go to the fishmonger, go to the butcher, go to the wine store. And it was never enough to fit in the small basket. So I got the most ginormous basket that they make for bicycles and mounted it on the back of my bike. Um, but what I'm getting at is I've started like seven or eight months ago to just hit like a cheese store. Well, like while I'm at Essex Street Market, I'll go to Saxelby. While I'm at Citarella buying meat, maybe I'll hit their cheese department. Um, there's that Italian place that I couldn't remember the name of. It's in the back of Essex Street. And... Some of these people know me, and like some of these cheese places, like there is this sort of black market business and cheeses that get smuggled in <laughs> that that are aren't supposed to be sold in the United States. And holy mackerel, it's delicious! So I've been eating cheese like almost on a daily basis for the last six months. It's just ridiculous. Like now I become a cheese addict, which is just crazy. Like I end the night every night around after dinner. 
post cigar, have a big pot of tea sitting there, and I'll just have tea. I'll just have cheese cut up with some good bread toasted next to it, and it's like such a great thing to eat. I don't know, man. It's like I have become like a cheese freak. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, and your wife's been that since, like, when I met her, she was at Cazalula, and she was just, like, on fire. She was on it. All right, so... You don't need to do the cheese with bread, either. We can just eat it like pudding. That's... It won't make... It won't make it's, I brought it for the radio. Yeah. Then this way, the, you know, we don't have to chew uh, the bread uh, part. A woman I'm really close to used to say, like, eating crackers or bread with cheese is like having sex with a condom. <laughs> Word. <laughs> <laughs> won't disagree with any of that. All right, so... Um, What's the next one we're going to taste? Uh, yeah, so I want to find. I, I brought three reds um, for again entry levels, uh, off-site appellations from the the heart of the Cote d'Or, um, drinking wines, uh, getting pleasure. And now, um, what I have here is a great producer, one of my favorite producers, Domaine Larlo, um, with some age on it, two thousand and four. And this is kind of their entry level Nuit Saint George. But what I wanted to express here is that 04 was considered not a great vintage. But if you love the producer you, and you want to, like, find something and you're, again, a beginner or you want to start, like, I want to, like, sell her some bottles or I want to have something with some age or I want to put it away or I got this little wine fridge, I would invest in off vintages that, you know, you might see on, like, a sale somewhere. I mean, again, you don't see that much sale at Burgundy anymore because there's no wine. <laughs> but there is sometimes. And if you, again, trust the producer the same way, the same philosophy I had with the Bourgogne uh, or, the, uh, or the smaller app, uh, satellite appellations that the winemakers or, um, make, um, you can get, you, you can be really, really, um, pleased um, with some wine with a little bit of development. So this is a 2004, so current vintage coming out is 14 right now, so it's 10 years old. They they use stems, so I, like... I was going to say, completely... Is this bio as well? Uh, no, I, I don't... No. Back then, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can look at my notes. I, no I, worries. I, I, was, I visited So the there's winery. stems in here as well. Yeah, I mean, there's whole cluster, and this has become the big phenomenon. Um, I mean, there, listen, there's... There's the, the whole cluster the, mean carbonic. No, 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 no. Just whole cluster crushed, but with the stem. Yeah, so it has that 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 musk, that layer of, I don't say you know, it has that that. We whether want to say vegetal, whatever's yeah, what's, what's that, coming from the stems. You tell me, because you're in this business. I mean, you're, tannins, aromatics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, more of that kind of like savory component to it, but like animal. And it's not you know when you destem, you start getting a more fresh, pure style. And uh, again, both producers. I mean, there's no right or wrong way. It's all about your house style. Uh, but this gives it some longevity. And um, 04 when it came out did have a greenness to it. It had the, like, it was like the ladybug, um, the ladybug uh, vintage that they talked about and. The wines were showing, and I'm like, I didn't wasn't crazy about them at all. But I'm like, these wines are too nervous. I'd rather just taste them in a little bit. And out of like two years ago, I, I popped one open, and I was like, wow, this wine is awesome right now. It's like it's not going to peak much more, but in the next couple of years, I want to drink 04s because you can still get the house style, and you can drink it. And uh, it's, it's pleasurable because it gives you the secondary aromas of you know more dried fruits and yeah, this had almost as I asked if it was bio. It almost has a slight little bit of funk to it and dried fruit and not exactly Gary. I mean, just this kind of. Oh, uh, it's all cluster. That's totally, totally. It's not that clean, pure expression of berry fruit at all. It's mm-hmm. and the color's funny, huh? It's well, again, um, whole, really on the light side. Whole cluster does dilute the color. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it just dilutes it. It's not as it's not as concentrated in color. So. Mm. But delicious. Yeah. Really alive, really fresh, really alive. Just a quaffing wine. So you have like none of this left. 
at home? No, yeah, the restaurants. Oh, the restaurants, no. This is from my cellar. This is from This is for me holding on to it. Like, this would have been sold in the restaurants a while ago. And it had, so it had that life in the bottle. That's a funny thing, right? People don't realize that wines do that, right? So, I mean, this wine started its life as grape juice, um, probably fermented with its own naturally occurring uh, yeasts, I'm assuming. Yeah, Unless, all na- uh, yeah right, all natural yeah. that, that way. Um, then it gets barrel-aged for however long in a mix of new oak and old oak. Then gets bottled and sits for a predetermined, predetermined period of time by the AOCs. Then it's released. And then, like, wines have, like, a funny life. Like, like you think at that point you have a product that isn't changing much. But they do. They, I mean, I've had Bordeaux that shut down for two or three years and then reopened again. It's like they go through, like... Yep. Like kind of a whole nother phase of maturity once that cork's on and once the lead is on. That so this that's this same wine that you had four or five years ago. You didn't like it, and now today is perfect. Yep. And Pinot Noir is, um, not, I mean, um, a big victim of that. It's got the shutdown, the open up, uh, even great vintages or in in, um, in lesser vintages. But I mean, that's the thing. Since like the, I mean, maybe the I think the last terrible vintage in Burgundy was eighty four. I mean, since then, the you know obviously you can only do one crop a year, so you learn from that mistake. But then you have technology. You have people now starting to talk to each other. You have again all this all this information out there, and yeah, even even when this came out, I'm like, wow, this is probably one of the worst vintages I had in a long time. And then I'm like, and then again, you have this beautiful magic after you know five years in the bottle because the wine was dormant for a while, like. It's like they needed they needed to wake up. Like it was all green and all and all kind of um, herbaceous, and the fruit was shut down. And I was like, wow, there's no fruit in this vintage. And out of nowhere, it just woke up afterwards. There's fruit now, but you're right. Like dried fruit, not high toned berry at all. The other way around. Um, so it, it's also a notoriously difficult play. I mean. At a time, you know, after World War II, like in the seventies into the eighties. France, might, it might have been the worst time for sort of big agro farming because it was just everyone seemed to have gotten into the idea of fertilizer and pesticides and yeah. spraying. It was common. It was accepted. Your neighbors did it. It was like smoking. It was like just that's where it was culturally in the wine world. Now the pendulum swung. And then there was this argument, oh, but the weather's so tough in Burgundy because it is wet and it is cold yeah. and they do get mold and mm-hmm. they get lots of shit because cold and wet's not great. But I, I've really seen... A lot. So you tell me you were just there. There's a lot more move now to be restrained on that, to move away from it. I mean, you know, we don't think of. I heard, again, I I don't think we ask the same question everywhere. I mean, I try to ask a similar question so I can get, like, understanding the the basics. I think only one winery, maybe two, said they went organic in 2016 because of the huge loss in crop of the frost. So, so again, let me give you a little bit of history in the last few vintages. Last year, in the sp- like around uh, whatever it was, like it was a nightmare in, in the in the in the early spring, there was a huge frost and it killed. Yeah. I, I mean, there's some places that made no wine, and for the most part, an average where you know uh, a producer will make wine from like a certain circumference area, like the average loss was about sixty five to seventy five percent of total production. Total production. So you're instead of doing. X, Y, Z, you're doing 35% of yeah. that, and that's it for the year. Done. And, and that's, you know, and the same thing with 15. 15 was a great year. The wines are really easy to drink. They've got a nice bit of fruit, and they're really just, they're, they're going to be great drinkers, and they're going to get great ratings. Um, but there was, again, a, a, a cool, I think, I think if I remember correctly, August got really cold. So while the grapes were, like, happy and growing and getting big, 
boom, it got cold. So the wine's kind of like, whoa, let me put my coat on. Shut down a little bit. So the wine still ended up great because it has this beautiful fruit. And that the benefit of that chill of that of that of that um, cool temperature was that the wines have great acidity. But they didn't when the juice when the wine was supposed to make when the when the vine was supposed to make more juice. So again, fifteens for some people, they were like down thirty percent because the grape just didn't produce as much. So again, it's it's a really Every year. It's like... Uh, well, this is a tough region. I mean, it's pretty far up north. I mean, Pinot Noir does well and Chardonnay does well because they're easy ripening grapes. Because, uh, I mean, why does Champagne only grow a couple of grapes? Because nothing else is going to work that far north. And yeah. Chablis not that far from there. Um, we were in Champagne last, um, last May filming. And my phone was with me, and you know, like every other idiot, you go to Facebook and Instagram all day long when you're doing <laughs> nothing. And somebody had sent me pictures went while we were, so it's May, while we were in Champagne, from a vineyard in Chablis, which is hail, the side, like covered with hail. Yep. Beaujolais, and, and vineyards it, were wiped out. Someone took a, houses, took a video people. from like the, like they were up on a... On a hill and boat, and you could just see the storm front and lightning coming down, and hail was like insanity. Listen, I, I've only been in a couple small hail. I mean, I'm from the Northeast here, so I've only seen hail when it comes down. It's for a few seconds, right? And it hits your car window and you're driving. 30 minutes didn't stop. Yeah. 30 right. minutes. And think of these vineyards that are exposed, that are already in fruit, the budding's taken. It's like... I mean, people died, I think. I mean, yeah, you're losing you're losing sections of, of, of the branches, you're losing leaves, in, you're losing bloom, you're losing everything. And speaking of, like, this is going to prelude because we're going to Chablis now. So when we were in Chablis, there was, I mean, I would see vineyards and say, yeah, this, like, no fruit was made. They didn't even, it was, didn't even set fruit. There was nothing, like, they didn't do anything. So hopefully they make fruit next year. I'm like, okay, great. So that's my uh, into Chablis now. So I think still of the of the famous names you hear, um, everyone kind of everyone's heard of Chablis. I think Chablis. I mean, it's a, definitely a big sommelier favorite because it's got great acidity, yeah. really refreshing. Not, uh, I mean, just you know, you want something to drink and just refresh your palate and and drink more because the more acidity and uh, the wine uh, a beverage has, the more your mouth salivates, the more you just want to keep drinking. And um, so Chablis, I still think, has great value. There's only three, there's only four tiers there. There's only four AOPs. There's Chablis, uh, sorry, there's Petit Chablis. Mm -hmm. There's Chablis. That's what I drink. It's the cheapest stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, mean, yeah, that's what we have. That's why I have it here. Uh, Regular Chablis, Chablis Premier Cru, and Chablis Grand Cru. And the Petit Chablis is not declassified Chablis. And this is one thing I learned. I'm like, I should have known. I think I knew this. But like, it's something that I thought was like interesting to share. It's different areas because it's got the soil is different so it's not like you're getting a worse wine it's just that wine's supposed to be a little bit different so chablis is actually sorry petit chablis is actually really drinkable and has still this i don't feel so bad about buying a lot of petit chablis no no, no. we're drinking a lot of petit chablis so um i'm not gonna well so so with petit chablis again if you find a producer you like um, and you don't want to break the bank. I mean, you're, t- you're thinking, I mean, this is not easy to find what I'm pouring you here because I was trying to find examples. It's the only one I had in my cellar. But, um, I mean, you can get Chablis, Chablis for like 10, I mean, 15 bucks, I think, hopefully in, in, in a wine store. I don't think it's crazy. And there's big producers, um, there's big negotiants that, um, in some non-negotiants that still make great value. So like, you know, we went up to Brocard, uh, Bocard, um, Brocard and, they're the biggest family-owned winery still. They have they make between 1.4 and 2 million bottles a year. It's huge. But to still feel like, you know, these wines have still the family owns it. Um, so but this is a so back to back to rambling here. So Petit Chablis, um, let's get you your reaction on this. I mean, this is it's got a little age on it. It's 
It's about, it's about a five-year-old bottle of wine that's meant to be drunk young. Mm. It's really, 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 really delicious. And that acid, like you have this long... Berkshire cream thing. Yeah, long, long finish. You just, you can, you're salivating afterwards and you're wanting to go right back to the glass again. And the nose, describe this nose because it's like this minerally wet chalk stony kind of... It's, how would you describe this? Yeah, yeah, so it's grown on chalk. Oh, I, I didn't bring... I brought, um, I brought some soil. Yeah, it's I'm, like the soil. It's kind of like what I saw in Champagne, So where uh, the substrate is just almost pure chalk. So, yeah, this is the soil that I brought to... Like, look at your hands. It gets yeah, all, chalk. It's chalk. It's you can all write chalk. on the blackboard with this. Yep. And, um, I mean, this is from one of the better sites. But, yeah, the wine is meant to be refreshing, a lot of really, like, sour... Um, uh, um, um, crab apples going on, but also that kind of like lactic kind of smooth creaminess, but I consider it more like English butter, Eng- like English sour cream. And um, I mean, it's got some age on it. So this actually has a little bit of, I get geeky now, but it has a little bitritis on it. It's got, it's got a little sweetness to it, which makes the apple feel a little bit more baked. But mm. yeah, I think it's, um, again, Petit Chablis, if you see it, same thing with uh, kind of the Bourgogne Rouge or the Bourgogne Blanc. Find a producer you like. Because right, those are the entry levels. Yeah. If they have that, if that, that's all they're allowed to call it on the label. You gave me a curriculum, sir. I listened to your curriculum. Yes. <laughs> you, gave me, uh, you gave me some rules. Yes, that's We wanted to go <laughs> 101, 101 second semester. Yeah. So, but now, on the flip side, I have a Grand Cru Chablis here, Le, Le Clos. And I still think for Grand Cru Burgundy, and, you know, you see Grand Cru Bordeaux. We're talking about the two Grand, grand um, Regions. Um, you still get really good value, I think. You can drink, like... Grand Cru. If you're going to celebrate, you can drink Grand Cru. You can buy Grand Cru Chablis at a liquor store for about sixty bucks in a wine, in a, you know, on a wine list for, you know, probably under one hundred and fifty, and depending on the on the on the on the, um, on the producer. But um, so this is um, again a big producer. Everyone's heard of Drouin, Joseph Drouin. Yeah. This is their this is their Chablis Grand Cru, and I. You know, again, you see these big producers, and you well, you want to be cool, and you don't want to, you want to get like, you know, oh, I don't want, you know, I, everyone knows that, or I want to find something that no one's ever heard of before. But there's sometimes stick with what's what works, and um, I feel like Drouin's wines, uh, especially in Chablis, uh, their whites. Um, I mean, other than making a fantastic Montrachet and a Clos de Mouche, um, I think their Chablis are, especially if I get to find value for my wine list, I will, I will go to Drouin and put some Chablis on the list. Yeah, it's a, one of those names. But you need to know when, when – then again, it's intimidating because you see all these wines from this one house. It's like which ones to buy. So, Like Jeddo. Yeah. And again, my, my, my trick my, – my advice is Chablis from Drouin, you can't go wrong. Completely you, different. And you'll find this everywhere. Like this is not um, – not this one, but any Chablis I think from uh, Drouin I think is – if you're a beginner and you're like, well, I don't know where to start. It's intimidating. You, you won't go wrong with this. Now the nose is a little more closed because it's Grand Cru and there's a, you know a little bit more wood on this. But yeah, there's more. Oh, the, so I you're getting say, the toast yeah, on the I, oak. Yeah, but I only say there's only twenty percent on this, uh, maybe twenty five. But I think we've become really sensitive. I'm the move away. I'm so glad for it. The move away from like that just pretty, you know, oak, 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 yeah. oak on reds, oak on oak on everything, and yeah. those typical flavor profiles. I don't want to get into American oak specifically, but you know even good French oak. It's just you know it. it I, I've, my head's totally kind of going 180 degrees the other way in the last 15, 20 years. I, I, I think you got to taste, you got to trust the vigneron. I'm talking about Burgundy. Like 2016, as I mentioned, there's no, 
there wasn't a lot of wine. Seventy percent gone, thirty percent of crop, right? And for the most part, mm. the the regimen for some people were like, I'll put one, when I have a when I have one vineyard, I will you know say I have five barrels. It'll be one new barrel and four used barrels, and they'll blend it afterwards. They'll rack it and they'll blend it. But with sixteen. First of all, the, probably the vintage wasn't so grand and so concentrated. Like, there's people that didn't get any new oak at all, so they'd rather put their wines in their used oak. So, again, you got to trust the vineyard on because if they're going to use a little bit more wood or a little less wood, it's probably because the wine needs it or the vintage needs it right. or the I mean, concentration of the, you know. They know the year. They know the grape. They know the cellar. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're eating cheese again. Well, it's got, yeah, I'm not going to. This has so much more weight. I mean, this is just so much bigger in the mouth. It's just yeah. so much fatter, so much rounder. Yeah. So much more spherical. Yeah. And so what would this be? Retail 60? Yeah, I think so. Maybe 70. I can look it up. Mm-hmm. So you're there for a week and a half. No, no, I'm there for five days. Five days, man. You were busy. Only three full Did days. Do you know Victoria James? Yeah, she was there too. She's right with Lyle yeah. Railsback. Yeah, I ran, I, ran into, I ran into Lyle. There was like, he think, works for Kermit Lynch? Yeah. He's, Got he's, you. Yeah. And uh, there was apparently four New York trips all separate there. Yeah, I because I kept getting both of all of you were on Facebook and Instagram with me. Yeah. And I'm like... You know, she was having so much fun. Yeah. I know. I knew she was in Burgundy, and then I guess in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to be in Loire for those big tastings they do there. If you're a Loire person, yeah, yeah. I mean, I won't be because I, you know, you just had your trip, and it was yeah. Burgundy. I, I'm, I'm done for a while. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Pasca and a lot of people I know. I think Jean Luc's going. Lots and lots of people. So, was there? I mean, there must have been a few, like a takeaway moment when you were there, and it was like this aha thing. So you're in Burgundy, mm-hmm. you're in a cellar, you're tasting. What were some of like the highlight things for you? Um. I was at um, Gislin Barthod, Bar, sorry, Gislin Barthod, and um, I've always liked those wines. Um, I didn't know again. It's kind of like I like those wines, but now I really like know why I like those wines. So, well, that was so, the aha. Right. What was it, now? Why? <sighs> she doesn't have any. She's in Chambol Musigny, which is um, the most probably feminine, pretty of all the Cote de Nuit. It's a lot of limestone in the soils, and really just beautiful wines, beautiful Pinot Noir. Musigny's the Grand Cru there. It's considered mm. the most pretty Pinot Noir in the world. But she doesn't have any Grand Cru's. But she has nine Premier Cru's. And to try nine, I think we, had, we tried seven. She only made eight that year. She didn't make one one year. Uh, she, didn't make, uh, she didn't make all nine, but she had eight. We tried, we tried seven of them. To try the progression and being like, why are, these wines are still so different. And they're right like... Next to each other. Honestly next to each other. Which is, because this was their, like the argument... When there was an argument, when people were arguing about terroir, the reference point any psalm would use was was Burgundy. Yeah. No place. Ever. So, literally parcel next to parcel next to parcel. I mean, I had this happen in Alsace, too, where I'm tasting Riesling with, I forget who the producer was, Schlumbacher or somebody. And we were standing. We actually went in the car. We stood next to these four slopes, mm-hmm. four different Grand Cruz. It was the same. I mean, it was like it was like football fields. That yeah. One was, it was like a big parking lot, basically. And they were, and they all had the same exposure. Slightly different subsoils, I would guess, because it's kind of volcanic, and that's how that works. But and then I then we went back to the vin, back to the cellar, and tasted those four wines. They were completely different wines, yeah. like completely different. And like now, you wouldn't even think. I was trying to figure out how to explain it earlier. Now I can explain. It. It's like bricks on a house. Mm. It's like it's literally like bricks on a house because there is differences. Like that place is not the same place as this. There is a little bit of a different exposure. You start getting a little bit of a slope. Okay, I can see what this means. Oh wow, the drainage is a little bit different here. But I'm a visual learner, 
and I, I it was like that was it was just like seeing it and I mean I got I have to go back in the summertime because being so cold it was like okay I can see this and tasting was great because the wines were ready pretty much ready out of barrel and um, and just to taste the uniformity of everyone's wines being at the same place and and that but um I mean what else did I get out of it I mean obviously wine always tastes better where it's from everyone's always told me that yeah it's true it's that's a weird sort of sad truth and to not have any premox wine in Burgundy was great yeah and I think it is a travel thing. I really, that's what I got out of it. I think it really is a travel thing. I think it's a, um, another thing I learned was with, Nat, with, um, with uh, Sansouf, with no sulfur. I mean, because we had a couple there and I'm like, I, I would never. Reds move, or whites? Whites. I, mean, I would never move this wine. Like, because, you know, just a shock of jump, like getting off of your suitcase, uh, you know, spinning down the, the luggage rail and, uh, you know, seeing thrown on the plane, like. This wine is this. This wine is like it's like a delicate piece of you know. I mean, I'm using cheese, but it really is like it's like a it's like a fresh piece of cheese. Like so, someone's doing sansu from Burgundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Because I, I know there's been like a real again we've talked about this before. There's been a real push towards. I mean, I mean you don't think of DRC as being anything, but it's bio. That has been Laflave has been a, for a, a long a time. Lot of people are bio. Yeah, the, the list is way bigger than I thought. Yeah, no, and, no, no. and there's been then and the trend is converting to go that way mm-hmm. to keep the soil life there yeah. to keep it what it you know to 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 be better steward. And they're trying the really hard because like again they make again, like saying that these are like bricks on a house and they're right next to each other. There's some vineyards that are bio and there's some aren't. Now, granted, maybe it's because they need to wait longer, but there's probably some aspects. Where there's some stubborn areas where it gets too cold and they need to use things, or it's it's not windy enough, or vice versa. So it's just I don't know. I explained my uh, my sommelier, um, the wine director, one of our wine directors asked me like, well, what do you compare it to like Piedmont? I'm like, Piedmont reminded me kind of like a uh, water like a water park where you have all these different like slopes and it goes on all different directions and it's just like. And then I felt like, like I think I said this earlier, like Burgundy's like a, like a straight down slide, like a slip and slide you put in your yard and you have a little bit of a slope and you know you're just going to go all the way far, all the mm-hmm. way to the end. And um, I don't know, like I said, I, I probably am talking and you guys have been, people that are listening probably been there plenty of times, like what this guy talk about? I got to go back. That's my <laughs> thing. I got to go back. Where else do you drink? I'm, I'm curious because when I get my son, Sean, who was supposed to join a sniper dinner, um, Big fan of yours. And drinks a lot more Pinot Noir than I do. I don't know why. Like, that's why he has the money in the bank. Um, yeah. Sorry about that, Sean. But um, he could have worse habits. It, Pinot Noir from elsewhere. It's a funny grape. Again, we talked about that. It's a. It's kind of a quick ripening grape. Yeah. Where Where are you drinking Pinots from outside of Burgundy that you're stoked about? Um, Domestically. Wilmette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oregon, for sure. Um, I think Oregon... Um, Oregon has that kind of like uh, tension um, that you're getting. Uh, it's not the same, obviously. Um, yeah, but it tends to be more, just more fruit to me. I think everything's more fruit. And, right. and, and on, this, on this side of the Atlantic. I mean, I just think also old vines. Like some of these vines yes. that are considered not old vines are still like 30 years old. Right. Like we didn't have, we, we planted, you know. Um, I, uh, I think some stuff coming out of Argentina. I think mm. the chakra wines that are coming out that Piero's making down there are really fun. Um, he's got a Sansouf, actually. That was actually a pretty. Uh, I think it was like it's 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 it's. Did he send up here? Uh huh. I just came. Next time, I couldn't carry this much wine. I. I, I oh, we're doing Burgundy. We're not doing Argentina. I know, but um, um, I think of Argentina. It's so funny because I just it's like like Argentina, and then the next thing in my head is Malbec and American oak and fruit bomb, and I hate that shit. Yeah, but, but if you go so much you, other yeah, stuff I mean, going it's on, it's a big country, it's and a big there's country. a lot of high elevation, and there's a lot of there's no there's no phylloxera. 
in those mountains. That's true. So you're not pre. There's yep. none. Period. Yep. And um, I mean, I mean, I like Anderson. I mean, I like all. I mean, I think everyone's making some cool. So, oh, look who's here. Oh boy. Sorry. Our, on that, no, we my, have to end the show. No, yeah. <laughs> it's five o'clock. B. That guy. Hold on, stereo. Hold on. I can shoot. <laughs> He's got the. Uh, yeah, my son just walked in. So. All right, and that's it. That's it for food talk. Sorry, bad ending. My my engineer's looking at me like, "What the hell, dude? You're just blowing the show at the end." Anyway, yeah, Tia and Stereo over here. We're gonna have. Um, if anyone's at Roberta's or close to Roberta's, you guys can come by in the next hour. We have so m- I have plenty of wine open. That's yeah. Yes, we do. All right, let's go. <laughs> right. Thank you. See you next week. I'm gonna, I've got a great guest or two next week. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Food Talk on Heritage Radio. We'll be back in a week. <laughs> Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.